Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm happy to talk to you about Jesus. He's the most important person that any of us could ever meet, and I hope that you come to realize that if you don't know much about him. We're looking at the things that Jesus has said. I would invite you, if you got one of these, a Bible, to turn to Matthew 5, as we're going to be at today. If you don't have a paper Bible, an analog version, you like got it on your phone or got nothing at all, I'd like to help you with that. Uh, if you would like to have a Bible, I would like to give you one. On your way out through the commons, just tell them at guest services that you need one, and we'll make this gift to you from Connection Christian Church. So if you want to find Matthew 5, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, a couple of years ago, actress Jamie Presley stirred up a lot of controversy. She posted up to social media about being at a ball game with her favorite son. Now, I understand that this could stir up some controversy. Some people said, oh, that's so sweet. Other people were like, I hope your son stole your phone and posted that. It's like she said the thing that nobody's supposed to say. I know that not all of us are parents, but we're all kids. How many of you suspect that your parents have a favorite? How many of you think it's you? <laughs> Which camera am I on right now? I just want to say a word to my, to my siblings, if they're watching this right now. Um, our parents don't have favorites. They do. <laughs> As parents, can we all just say, do we have favorites sometimes? Psychologists actually say we do, that the kid who's behaving the best at the current moment is the best kid. God's a father. Does God have favorite people? Why don't we look at what Jesus has to say about that? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. We'll go down. We're looking at the words of Jesus, verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. You may have heard that as, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God, children of God. It doesn't say that God has a favorite, but it sure does intimate that he really likes people who work for peace, which would have been an incredibly surprising thing to the people who were listening to Jesus teach that day. And here's, let me just say that Jesus said a lot of surprising things that day as he taught all the people who gather around. I want you to envision that there were thousands of people listening to him on a mountainside. He had just began preaching and teaching. You find this at the end of Matthew 4. And he had just gone from city to city and village to village talking to people about how they need to repent because God's kingdom is here. It's actually a choice for you. You can come into God's kingdom. And people just thought he was amazing because he was not only telling them these things that were just things that they, that, that were never heard before, he was also healing people. And he was casting out demons and he was proving God is actually among you. And so in Matthew chapter 5, thousands and thousands of people have left all these towns and just followed him because they want to hang on his every word. And he's like looking at this crowd and they're all wondering, I know you say the kingdom of heaven is here, but who can actually come into it? And Jesus starts looking around and he says, hey, let's just start here. Do you all want to be happy? You want to be blessed by God? Everybody in the audience is like, yeah, we do. And Jesus says, here's how it starts. We talked about this last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And maybe you've heard that before, and you think of that as something maybe spiritual that you should aspire to. That's not what they heard. What they heard was, blessed are you when you are flat broke spiritually. You pull your pockets out, and you got nothing but lint. That's a good day, because God blesses people like that. So everyone in the audience, in the crowd listening to Jesus is hearing him say, you mean if I never grew up going to synagogue like I was supposed to, if I didn't keep all the Ten Commandments like a good Jewish person, I'm still eligible to be part of the kingdom of God? Yes, if you are poor in spirit, if you are mourning and grieving over what your sin has done in your life, you are blessed by God. You are absolutely eligible. It doesn't disqualify you from being a part of the life that God has. And he goes on, he just says these uh, surprising things, and people are shocked by it. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And you might think, well, what's shocking about that? 
Well, let's just think through this. Let's go on down to look and listen to what Jesus said in verse 10. He said, uh, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. You ever done the right thing and been in trouble for it? Is everyone happy when you do the right thing, especially when you get them in trouble because you're doing the right thing and they're not? Like, you're setting a good example makes them look bad. And sometimes you get grief just for that, and Jesus knows that. He goes on and he says, uh, blessed are you for who, when you're doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Did everybody love Jesus? What did they do to Jesus? Crucified him on a cross. If you're going to follow me, don't be surprised if the people who hated me hate you too. Because you're casting light on things that they don't want to be brought out into the light. You're, you're bringing things into the world that make them feel guilty. And, it, and they don't want to deal with that. And they don't want to be drawn closer to God. And so if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. But just count that as a good day. Just you're blessed by God. Who cares what other people say and do to you? God thinks you're amazing. In fact, he takes it a step further. When you, in the name of Jesus, try to make peace with other people... You're a child of God. You're taking on a family attribute. You're doing what God is doing. Jesus came into the world to make peace between the people of the world who are broken and God and to restore peace among people. And it's like you're joining the family business. You're no more like God than when you're trying to make peace with other people in the name of God. For a while, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my dad's extended family. So whenever I started going to some of the family reunions again, I was just like shocked at how much these people were like me. You ever been to a family reunion? Just like, these people get me. I walk in and everybody's a runner. Everybody plays guitar. We, I go up to the food table. It's like everybody has just brought my favorite foods. We drink the same soda, like Sundrop and Squirt. Um, one thing, I don't understand the Miracle Whip. I took after my mom's side of the family on that. It's a mayonnaise all the way. And uh, we can't be friends if you're a miracle whip kind of person. I just had to, had to tell you that, but we can't be at peace with each other. So that's, it's just the thing. Family is like each other. That's why we get along with each other. That's why you love being with your cousins and your brothers and your sisters and your aunts and uncles. And Jesus says it's a family business kind of thing to be a peacemaker. And, and God loves that when we bring peace into a broken world. The world that we live in right now, man, it's, it's a mess, isn't it? Globally, I, I hate to watch the news because I just see all of these things that are going on with wars and rumors of wars, and we've got this global pandemic going on. Nationally, we've had lots of conflicts, and we've got lots of stress and division we, at a personal level. Our anxiety levels are through the roof. We need a lot of peace, don't we? I think that the world could use a few people who take after Jesus and listen to him and try to do what Jesus does and bring peace. It's a good day when you start bringing peace. There was a great story that happened out in California earlier this year. It didn't start well, but it ended well. There's a family, and let me get their name here right, Hyjun C and his family lived out in this nice California neighborhood, but they were tormented. About the time they would start to put their kids to bed, someone would be coming up and banging on their door, their windows. They were having a barbecue, and somebody was throwing rocks at their guests. What it turned out later they figured out was there was a gang of over 20 teenagers tormenting them simply because they were Asian. They were taking turns. I don't know any teenager who's this motivated, but they were. They signed up for shifts to sit outside on a hill outside the subdivision, watch for when the family went to bed so that they could take turns going down and keeping them awake all night. 
The C family had two little kids who were terrified to go to bed. They slept with mom and dad because all this was happening all night. Finally, Mr. C couldn't take it anymore. He was talking to one of his neighbors and just broke down and told her what had happened and what was happening. It had been going on for months. And uh, she said, this is horrible. She had no idea this was happening. They had installed security cameras. They'd had the police out multiple times. They put up security fences. It just wasn't working. Layla got started on this. Like, there's no way someone in my neighborhood's going to go through this. She started getting on the neighborhood Facebook group, got the word out. All the neighbors were appalled. I don't know how nobody else knew this was happening, but the moment they found out, there was a sign-up list, and they had their own little group. Over 50 families signed up to take shifts, and they sat at the driveway, and they sat outside the house 24-7 and kept guard over this family so they could finally get a decent night's sleep. The kids were eventually caught. It turned out great. I love what Mr. C said. The neighbors keep watching, and I'm very grateful. Now we have some peace. I love my neighbors. I don't know for sure, but I suspect at least some of those people were Jesus followers, doing what Jesus calls us to do, bring a little peace bring a little comfort, bring a little stability and unity into a messed up world. If you're a Jesus follower, this is what he calls you to do. And God says you are blessed. You're actually a child of God. You're in the family business when you're like him, making peace. I love what the Bible says in Romans 12, 18. This is explicitly written to Christians. It says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And I like the way Paul said that. He's a Christian leader and church planner. It's like he just acknowledges that sometimes you're not going to be able to get along with everyone. Just don't let it be your fault. As much as you can, you be at peace with everyone. There may come a day where, you know, they repent and they, they are willing to work it out. But you do everything you can in every situation to be the one who's open to the idea of reconciliation, of peace, of getting along. Well, how do we do that? I want to be real practical today, and I want to just continue to go through Jesus' sermon and look at how he talked about how we can be peacemakers. So if, you've, if you're already in Matthew 5, let's just keep on going down to chapter 5, verse 21. Just listen to what he has to say here. He says, you've heard it said that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Now, I'm going to pause there. Remember that Jesus is speaking right now to Jewish people. So their Bible is what we call the Old Testament. Moses was given the Ten Commandments, and he gave them to the people on two stone tablets. This is what Jesus is talking about. What is the Ten Commandment? What is one of them? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. That's what Jesus... You've heard this said. You grew up being taught this, right? Okay. But I say... And by the way, notice what Jesus is doing. He's putting himself in the same level of authority as the Ten Commandments themselves. You've heard this, but let me tell you what it really means. If you're even angry with someone... You're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Anybody break 22 this week driving down Highway K? Hmm. What he's saying here is, you know, and I think if I were just to paraphrase Jesus, I don't think I can say it better than he did, but just to kind of remind us about what it means to be a peacemaker is you got to deal with your own anger issues first. You want to be at peace with other people, you got to be at peace with yourself. And, uh, when, and when you think about what that looks like to deal with that, Jesus is always raising the bar. And this is a, certainly one of those cases where a lot of us might pat ourselves on the back and say, well, of the Ten Commandments, that's one I have never broken. And if you have, we can deal with that too. But a lot of people would say, well, I'm good. I've never broken, at least I've never done that. I've never murdered anyone in cold blood. 
And Jesus says, takes it up a notch, and he says, uh, not so fast. Because before it ever happens out here, it starts in here, and it starts in here. I remember when we, uh, several years ago, lived in East Tennessee. We first moved there. Loved it. Loved the people. Everyone, a friend of ours said to us when we first moved there, you guys are completely safe. You know that? Like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you're, you're never going to get killed here. Because every time you see someone in the news who's been killed, they were killed by a family member. You're not related to anybody. So there's nobody going to be mad enough at you to kill you. So you're fine. <laughs> but isn't that true? It's the people who are closest to us that provoke us the most. And Jesus says, like, you got to get a handle on that because God holds you just as responsible for what you do up in here and what you feel in here as what you actually carry out here because every murder that actually happens in real life started here and here. And let's deal with that first and let's get at peace with that. I know there's some people who look at this and they go, well, really? I just want to walk through real quick what Jesus was teaching here. He was probably speaking in Aramaic. Matthew, who was actually there that day, listened to his words. He put it down in Greek for us, which got translated in English, thankfully, because most of us don't speak it. But when Jesus was saying, when, I, when you even just call somebody an idiot, the word he probably would have said out loud in that sermon today was racha, Aramaic for fool, idiot, dummy, probably lots of other words that I won't say in church, but you, you know the words that we have for contempt and disdain for another human being who just can't seem to drive their car right? That's the word he's talking about. And raka is kind of like onomatopoeia, where the word sounds like what it is. It's, you, you're welcome to say it if you want. Raka. You have to spit when you say, go ahead, try it. Raka. Yeah, it's like, I have so much disdain for you, I spit on you. It's literally what the, the feeling is here. And he says, like, you don't want to have that attitude in your heart towards someone that God created and, and that Jesus loves and died for. You just don't want to go there. You want to develop an attitude that says, hey, I, I may be at odds with you. I may not like what you're doing, but I'm not going to have so much contempt for you that I think you're beneath me because that's the start of some really bad stuff. So just, I, I think that there's maybe a little bit of us that goes, yeah, I mean, it's nice. Jesus, that's great. And in a perfect world, maybe that's where we're going to go. But I just don't know how to get through my day without a little bit of anger. It's like caffeine and anger. That's what fuels me to get my stuff done. You don't know how you'd get your employees motivated if you just didn't yell at them from time to time. You know, how would you uh, motivate yourself? How would a coach motivate a team? Parents, how would you let your kids know that you're really serious if you don't? You know, raise up the temperature a little bit. There's like a counselor talking to young parents who are really having issues with their kids, and he said, you really shouldn't discipline your kids in anger. And they're like, what? Should we discipline them in cold blood? <laughs> doesn't sound right. I'm not saying that anger is wrong. We've talked about this before, and if anger is an issue for you, I am not making light of it. It's an issue that I have struggled with in my life, too. And I, I encourage you, if you just go back to the Connection Christian website, you can find, just search on the messages and just put in anger. You'll find several messages that might be helpful to you. It's just walking through what the Scripture says about that. I will say that Jesus has some pretty good things to say about this. There's, there's a place for anger. It motivates us to action, but it should motivate us to, to things that are helpful, not hurtful. That's why the Bible says to Christians in Colossians 3, 8, look at this. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, uh, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. It just doesn't have any part in your life anymore. And I, I want to get a little bit specific here. I'm going to get in your business a little bit. What this also means is no more trolling online. If you're one of those people who do that, you can't say things about other people. You might even say, well, they'll never see me. I don't, I don't care if you didn't vote for the person or if they're an actor or an actress and they're in the public eye. 
if we're following Jesus, it matters what we think and what we have in our hearts. And they may never know that you said it, but you're not the kind of person who says things like that anymore. That may have been who you were, but that's not how you are. That's certainly not who you're becoming. We just don't do that. We don't go there. This is not how we speak about people. You're not a person who carries contempt and disdain for people. You're certainly never going to change anything by that. This is where peacemaking starts. It starts with how we think about people, even people who are doing the wrong thing and going the wrong way and are completely messed up and making things worse. This isn't helping when we join them in by doing these things. You know, I think that maybe if we were to just let God deal with us a little bit, maybe he's having a few conversations with you about that. I would listen to that if I were you and think about where he wants you to go with that. I want to go on and see what else he has to say because he's really smart. (laughs) Let's go down to verse 23. Jesus said, so, in light of everything I just told you about anger, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go be reconciled to that person, then come offer your sacrifice to God. It's really hard for me to explain how shocking this would have been to people who were listening to Jesus. The closest I can get is what I've heard other pastors and scholars say. Just imagine you're at a wedding. And you're one of the two people getting ready to say, I do. And in that moment, when you're about to say, till death do us part, you realize there's somebody that you're at odds with. You literally leave the wedding to go make things right with that person. Then you come back. Where are you going? You you chickening out on the wedding? No, I just got something I can take care of. What is more important than getting married right now? Being reconciled to another person. You think about what a person would have gone through to get to the temple to make a sacrifice. It may be a trip that they made once in their lifetime, maybe once a year. They would have stood in line. They had to make a lot of arrangements to get there to the point where it's a sacrifice. And it was a holy moment. It's worship. And Jesus is saying, yeah, in that moment of worship, I really think that you should go get this worked out before you finish this conversation. Because peace matters to God. And he cares about his kids getting along with each other. There's a big part of us that doesn't want to do that. Because... uh, It just feels like, who wants to go there? Who wants to get into that kind of a conflict? But Jesus says, this is really important to me. I want you guys to make things right with each other. Author and pastor Robert Morgan talks about a time in his church where a couple of members got sideways with each other. It was Claude and Anne, I think. And it was a real simple thing, which aren't arguments usually about stupid things. Um, I think they were arguing about the decor for a church banquet or something, and And Robert, the pastor, kind of got the idea that Claude maybe had said a few things he shouldn't have said to Anne, and her feelings got hurt. So he went to Claude's house and said, you know, you really ought to go apologize to her. And and, uh, he said, oh, I did. I talked to her. Really? You did? Oh, yeah, I apologized. Yeah, you did. Well, what would you say? I told her I was sorry. Are you kidding me? You told her you were sorry. Yeah, I told her I was sorry she had such a bad attitude. (laughs) Sorry she was wrong. Not what Jesus is talking about. And there's something in us, oh, I want to go have the conversation. I know some of you, it's not my personality type, but it's yours maybe, where you're ready to conflict, you're ready to rumble, you're ready to throw down. But it's not about reconciliation, it's just about powering up and showing how you're wrong and I'm right. Actually, I think that does sound like me a little bit. Um, That's not really what Jesus had in mind when he says, go make this relationship. What you want to do here, as somebody has so powerfully said, you want to attack the problem, not the person. We got to get on the same page together. We're like standing side by side trying to figure this out. We we need to resolve this because we're not going to go anywhere till we do. And this is really important to me. It's got to be really important to you because it's really important to Jesus. 
I love what the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I don't know if maybe there's somebody in your mind right now as I'm talking about this, you go, yeah, we're kind of not on really good terms right now. I don't know maybe if this is the time for you to step out of church and send a text or make a phone call. It's okay. Jesus said you can leave church and do that. You can watch this later and online, right? And here's the thing. If you're going to start the conversation, if you're going to use texting, I would use that just to set up the meeting. I really don't think that texting or emailing is a way to solve things. It just makes things worse oftentimes because they can't understand you and you can't understand them. I would use it to set up the meeting and then do FaceTime, do a phone call, do a face-to-face in-person meeting. And you may not resolve all the things, but at least you're starting to look at going forward in a direction together and working on the problem, not trying to fix each other. I like what Pastor Andy Stanley says. This is always stuck in my head because it's so catchy. He says, go one another your bro before you sit in a row. I don't know if this is a thing you got to do, but I would encourage you to take Jesus seriously because I think he knows what he's talking about. Speaking of which, I want to go ahead and let him finish his thought. This is down in verse 25. So he says, in all this train of thought, he says, so when you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. I think this is a word for people like me. I think what Jesus is saying is peacemakers, you got to push quickly for reconciliation. You got to go there and do it, and you got to do it quickly. And people like, I kind of tend to avoid conflict. I don't really enjoy getting into arguments with people. I will do it, and I, my temper has got me into some pretty good fights before, but I don't like it. And then Jesus is just saying, don't let this fester. There are some things you can just let go and test with time and see if it gets better on its own, but conflicts generally don't get better on their own. Time maybe gives you a little time to cool down, but you still got to talk it out. And he's saying, make it an urgent thing. Because you don't want to get on the other side of this and find that God was actually waiting for you two to work this out and had an expectation that you would. And I want to point this out too. I think it was, um, I don't know if this was Winston Churchill, but somebody said there's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking, you know, where you just kind of pretend everything's okay, but it's not. I do know Winston Churchill said, you know, the peacekeeping is kind of like feeding a crocodile and hoping that it eats you last. I, I think that we can kind of figure out that look, this, this really does need to be resolved. It's the healthiest, it's the wisest thing that we could do. You know, I, I, I know that there's a little bit of you that might be thinking, but Brian, if I could just have five minutes of your time and tell you what the situation is, I think you would agree with me that I'm dealing with a raging lunatic, and it's clearly all their fault. And I may even agree with you, but I still have to point to what Jesus said, that if you realize you're sideways with somebody, whether it's their fault or yours, you're the one who has to go. The moment you realize that you're at odds with someone, you're responsible. It may be 100% their fault. It probably isn't, but it could be. It's still your responsibility. And you might be thinking, well, why isn't God talking to them? I don't know, but he's talking to you. Maybe you need to do something with this. We need to just be brave enough and mature enough. I'll help you. I'll talk it through with you if you need a sounding board, but I'm going to insist that after you talk to me, you go talk to them. Just to schedule that meeting and get it worked out. Making peace is so important to Jesus because it's what layer by layer fixes what's wrong with us and what's wrong with this world. And uh, I would say don't postpone it, don't put it off, don't sweep it under the rug, don't give that person the cold shoulder till they figure it out and they go, oh, okay, I guess I better work this out. You just take the initiative, you be the one to resolve it. 
You know, if I could go and just pull you out of Matthew chapter 5, go forward to Matthew chapter 18. Jesus talked about this kind of a thing again. And then he said this, if another believer, like part of your family, part of your church family sins against you, you go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won the person back. Sometimes there's a genuine hurt. You have legitimately been wronged. You have issues, and it's okay to feel that and feel the anger of this isn't right. This is not just. There needs to be something done here. There needs to be an apology or something. But Jesus says, even if it is that other person's fault, you be the one to go start the conversation to make it right. You go, and if you need to, offer forgiveness, offer mercy, offer grace. Tap into the grace and the mercy that God has already given you. Maybe you need to realize that you need to ask for forgiveness and ask for a little bit of grace and mercy and apologize yourself. I, uh, I know that this is hard. Somebody once said, and I heard Pastor Gene Apple most recently say this, the two hardest words in the English language are, I'm sorry. The three hardest words in the English language are, I was wrong. Which makes the five hardest words in the English language, you can say them with me, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And this has just become my wife's favorite sermon. I'm just going to play just this part right here. I'm sorry I was wrong. I'm just going to play that on a loop. This is where it starts. I want you to go back to Matthew 18, 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately point out the offense. If the other, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won. Right? I win. Hey, I won. Oh, what did he say? Go ahead and say it with me. You have won that person back. That's the whole goal here. I, at the end of the day, when you have these hard conversations and you take the risk and you go into the tunnel of chaos and conflict, I guarantee you're going to come out and there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And something happens. Sometimes it's that the other person does go, oh, you know what, I've been being an idiot. I'm sorry, it's my fault. Sometimes it's just that you realize the fight wasn't worth what it's done to your relationship and at least you got two people working in the same direction again. And God says, I love them when my children are at least trying to be in harmony and unity. Come on. Can we not just realize that we're all Americans? That we live in an amazing place? Can we not realize that we're married to each other? And there was at some point something in our lives that made us want to spend the rest of our lives together. Can we not just say we're family? We love each other. We get on each other's nerves like no one else, but we take up for each other like no one else either because we love each other. Can we not say we're a church and none of us deserve to be here, but God loves us and Jesus died for us and we're family and we're going to work this out and it's going to be okay. We're going to be in eternity together. Let's, let's work on being the mature person and be the person who says, I will stick my hand up. I will be a peacemaker. I will be at peace with God, and I will be at peace with each other. It's really, I love this about connection. It's really our goal to help people get connected to God and each other through Jesus. And we know that is what he wants to do. He doesn't like to see the world at odds with each other, people hating each other, people despising each other, people having contempt and disdain for one another. The Bible says in Romans 5.1, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. If you want to be a peacemaker, you have to be at peace with God first. You get this figured out, this will start getting, and the potential is there. 
I so much want you to know what it's like to feel peace with God. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't yet said anything about following Jesus and you don't even know what that means, this is literally what we exist to do, and I'd love to help you do that. You can today commit your life to Jesus, not just to be here to learn about him and to study as a student, but to commit your whole life to him and become a Christian. And we're ready to help you be baptized today. We have the water ready for you to go, and you can walk out of here today at peace with God and then on a head start towards being at peace with the other people in your life. I would love for you to have that experience. Pastor Billy Graham, you may have heard of him, used to say to be a peacemaker, you must know the peace giver. I really want you to meet him if you don't know him. And if you do, let the Holy Spirit develop peace within you in your relationships and in your world. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I'm so thankful for the peace that I have with you. I've been living in it for decades. I can't imagine my life without you. I know that so many of us here would say the same thing. And I, at the same time, just hurt for people who yet don't know just what it's like to, to not worry about what you think about them, to know that their eternity with you is settled, to know the joy of being in a family that truly cares about them, that we'll never be apart from. I pray for people here today just to completely be open to what you're asking us to do, whether it's to make things right with someone else or make things right with you. And I know that you'll help us do that. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.